for today is from Matthew 8, verses 18 through 27. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first, go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Justin, for reading that scripture. And if you have a Bible or on your phone, you can turn to that scripture as well. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, is where we'll be. And that text is also on our uh, online bulletin on our website, if you'd like to see it there. Well, some of us are casual sports fans, and you probably know what I mean by that. You Maybe you keep up with the team's that you like, you watch them play on TV, you might even pay to go to a game occasionally. There's casual sports fans like many of us, and then there are the truly devoted. You know them when you see them, right? They're the ones, if you're watching a game on TV, uh, they're the ones the camera will often settle on, and they look like this. Sometimes they look like this, or like this. And legend has it, some even dress like this in the comfort of their own home. When the game is on, these type of fans put casual fans to shame. They're not even, they're not just season ticket holders, but they'll miss important family functions to watch a game or to go to a game. Their mood on any given day is determined by how good their team did the day before. See, they stick with the team no matter the record. No matter how bad the team is doing, they're always having faith. This year could be the year, right? Adversity, though, weeds out the casual fans. Maybe we'll follow them more when they're in the playoffs or when they're doing really well, but this type of fan will follow their team no matter what. And this is a little bit like what we see happening in our text this morning in Matthew. We continue our series in Matthew's Gospel Last week, we saw Jesus begin to show his authority, not just in word and teaching like he had been doing, but his authority in action and in miracles and healing. See, Matthew is slowly pulling back the curtain on who Jesus is. First, a great teacher, then a healer, which, hey, most people are really excited about all that, right? But then, wait a minute, Matthew keeps pulling the curtain back. He has authority over creation itself. 
over the spiritual realm, even authority to forgive sins and, yes, authority to claim first place in our lives. And that very quickly becomes too much for many people. That becomes too much for those casual followers of Jesus to handle. And Matthew shows us a Jesus who will not be contained or compartmentalized. He shakes up the status quo in our expectations, and he provokes a strong response in all who meet him. See, many who were initially interested in following Jesus end up turning away because of the cost involved in following him. And so in our text this morning in Matthew, we'll walk through four really short little episodes that reveal the total authority of Jesus and show us a variety of heart responses that those people who saw him had. We'll ask ourselves what our heart response should be uh, as we're confronted with the absolute authority of Jesus. So would you bow with me in prayer as we turn to God's word? Our Father, we thank you for your word that reveals to us Jesus Christ. Give us spiritual eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are open and ready to receive what you would have for us. We ask that your spirit would would open our eyes to what we see. As we are confronted with the authority of Christ, maybe we're an unbeliever here today, or we've been following Jesus for many years, but there is something here for each of us as we're confronted with Christ. And so we pray that you would grow us together as we see more of Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So turn to Matthew 8, starting in verse 18. Look there. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So Matthew tells us that Jesus decides to cross the Sea of Galilee because of the crowd. Remember, he's healing the crowds. Many are coming to him and he's ministering to them all. But he also doesn't want to just whip up popularity for its own sake, right? Instead, departing from the large crowds, often Jesus separates those who truly want to follow him. And that's what begins happening here. Not just those who want to be amazed or see something interesting, right? That's really what this whole passage is pointing to. Jesus revealing his authority, not only that, but seeking a right response. Because following Jesus isn't about our comfort and preferences. He tells us right here, there's a cost. There's a cost in following me. First, the scribe says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Maybe he means literally because he sees Jesus getting on a boat. Hey, I'll follow you to the other side. Jesus' response is, are you sure? I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you sure you really want to follow me? Because following Jesus for these first disciples literally meant following him around from place to place in this itinerant lifestyle without stability, without luxury, leaving behind homes and income. Following Jesus today doesn't necessarily demand the same lifestyle, but we're fooling ourselves if we don't think there's a cost for us too. 
And now this becomes even clearer with the second guy. I'll follow you, Jesus, but I have to go bury my father first. Now that seems like a really reasonable request to us. And even more so in that, in this day, it was the son's responsibility to bury his father. This was of utmost sacred duty. The rabbis even taught that this duty would take priority over other religious duties. So Jesus' reply here is shocking. It's even offensive. Let the dead bury their own dead? What's Jesus saying? He's not being unkind or cruel, but he's making a very bold claim. Don't miss it. Jesus is saying he has the authority to demand first place in our lives, even over the utmost other priorities, the most sacred, good priorities. Jesus says, I'm above even that. Now, more than likely, this guy's father wasn't even dead yet. This could have been a way of saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. Let me just get my affairs in order. Let me wait till my father dies and I'll get my estate settled and then I'll be your disciple. You get a head start. See, this is more likely an excuse, putting off discipleship until later. But either way, these are not private conversations. Remember, there's a crowd right around him. So these words are teaching everyone around him and teaching us. Matthew doesn't give us the response of these two men. And so this is for us, too. Jesus is calling each of us to say how we will respond. Calling all of us to the same discipleship. Will we count the cost? It's easy for us to make excuses about following Jesus. Maybe it's when I reach this life milestone. When I achieve this career goal in my life. When I get some stability, maybe then I'll consider following Jesus. Right now, I just don't have the time. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there right now. That could be about following Jesus at all, maybe if you're not even a believer. But more often, this can happen to us as believers. We're devoted followers of Jesus, but it's easy for us to let Jesus slip out of first place. To let other priorities, good things, great things, rise above and take first place. Our legitimate responsibilities, all the demands of life and our own desires can all become excuses if we're not careful. Think really practically. What tends to keep you from putting Christ first on an average day? What about yesterday? What came before Christ yesterday? Will it be any different tomorrow as you step back into the regular rhythms of your week? Jesus is being really honest with us here about the demands of discipleship. So we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about where our hearts are. But he doesn't condemn us for our excuses. That's human nature. He doesn't condemn us for our delays. The invitation remains. Follow me. Follow me. And so wherever we are right now, he invites us to take a step. Take a step in faith to follow So Matthew shows Jesus is having the authority and the right to take first place in our lives. But let's look at the next scene, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? 
Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? See, healing is one thing, but authority over creation itself is another. Some Jews of this day obviously were fishermen, like some of Jesus' own disciples, but the Jews as a whole historically were not seafaring people. By, by and large, they kept to the land, to their promised land. To them, the sea represented a place of darkness, a place of chaos, untamed power that only God could tame. It's all the more striking that when Jesus gets up, he rebukes the word. Notice that word, rebukes, like a master would rebuke a servant. That's what Jesus does to the storm. Matthew may have had Psalm 107 in mind, where the psalmist uses the sea to show God's almighty power. We heard this earlier in our service. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. The psalmist paints a picture of almighty God's power over creation. And here in our passage, it's Jesus himself doing that. So the disciples ask the right question. What sort of man is this? See, they're still putting the pieces together themselves. Maybe you see also here some parallels to the book of Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God's command, if you don't know the story. And he got in a ship to run away from God. And despite the storm that God sent to get his attention, Jonah was fast asleep in the ship. The sailors had to wake Jonah and say, call on your God to help us. Here in our passage, the storm comes not because of disobedience, but as a sign of Jesus' authority. But Jesus, too, is asleep. His disciples have to wake him. But unlike Jonah, Jesus doesn't have to call for help. He rebukes the storm himself. As Jesus will say later in chapter 12, someone greater than Jonah is here. See, whatever sort of box we want to put Jesus in, he doesn't fit. He's greater than the storm, so his question is legitimate to his disciples. You're with me, so why are you afraid? Remember, he's teaching them, but his question is genuine, I think. Haven't you seen enough already not to be afraid when you're with me? See, remember for Matthew, faith is not this vague thing. It's not faith in a higher power or in the supernatural. It's specifically faith in Jesus Christ, that God has given Jesus all authority on heaven and earth. And so our faith acts on that truth. And in this case, the disciples failed to exercise faith, instead only seeing the danger around them. And so this is the second heart response we see in our passage. We can fall into fear when we lose sight of Jesus and who he is. And again, this can be true just as much of us as believers as unbelievers. Because when our eyes are not focused on Christ and when all we see is our circumstances, or maybe it's our expectations not being met, or feeling out of control, we can fall into fear. What are you afraid of? What are the things that keep you up at night? We can hear Jesus asking us the same question. I'm with you, so why are you afraid of that? 
If he's with us as he promised, then we have nothing to fear. See, so to follow Jesus, to really put him first, means a response of faith, not fear, to our circumstances. Fear stops us dead in our tracks. Fear makes us run the other way like Jonah did. But faith allows us to follow Christ even into adversity, even into suffering, even in a direction we would never go on our own, but we will by faith knowing Jesus is with us. See, faith is knowing Jesus has the authority in your life to calm the storm, to turn your circumstances around. But faith is also trusting him if he chooses not to, knowing he has a good reason, submitting to his authority in that circumstance. See, in each episode, Matthew is pulling back the curtain just a little more, showing his authority and asking, so what are you going to do about it? And so let's move on to the next section. See the curtain pulled back a little more. We're moving fast, but we're trying to see the big picture here and what Matthew is showing us. There's always value in slowing down and going word by word, but sometimes there's things in Scripture you only see if you zoom out and see the big picture. And that's what's going on here what we're trying to do this morning. So look at verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the two, or to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Seems Jesus can't get a moment's rest. He tries to sleep during the storm. His disciples wake him. And as soon as he gets off the boat, he's met by these two violent demon-possessed men. So violent, Matthew tells us, no one could pass that way. Well, guess who has the authority to pass that way? Jesus steps right into this situation. The demons are not happy. Look, they know exactly who he is. We discussed this passage in this past Tuesday's men's Bible study, and I realized I need to do that more often so I can steal insights from the other guys for Sunday's sermon. But someone on Tuesday pointed out the demon's answer to the question that the disciples asked in the boat. Remember what they said? What sort of man is this? Well, just a few verses later, son of God. This is a really strange scene here, and I've never known quite what to do with all of this. We don't have time to address all the questions, but let's notice a few things. Jesus' authority extends now to the spiritual realm, the spiritual forces. If you've been keeping track, he has authority over disease, over the physical creation itself, here over the spiritual. Nothing outside his authority. And the demons want to know if Jesus is going to deal with them before the time. Notice that phrase. In other words, they know their fate is sealed. But they expected it to come sometime later. On the final day of judgment, maybe. 
I love that Jesus is defying everyone's expectations, including the demons. His kingdom will come one day in fullness, but right here in our passage, he's breaking in with his kingdom before it was expected. And since then, Jesus has been breaking into our world with his kingdom, shaking things up like he was doing here in his ministry. What's the deal with the pigs? I have no idea what's going on with the pigs here. This is a Gentile area, so that explains the unclean animals. And one of the men Tuesday suggested Jesus allowing the pigs to be harmed probably prevented these demons from going out and harming everybody in the city. Because another gospel tells us there were many, many demons inside these men. But in any case, they want nothing to do with Jesus. This city, the people there, they all come out to see him after hearing this story. They ignore the miracle, as usual, in those who reject Jesus. They ignore what's right in front of them. They ignore the lives that have been transformed, the two men that have been rescued. And they only care about the financial loss of the pigs. So that's another reason Jesus allowed this to happen, is to reveal their hearts. And what a chilling response to Jesus that they give here. They begged him to leave. They're no better than the demons that were just saying the same thing. See, this is yet another possible heart response we can have when we're confronted with Jesus. Jesus disrupts my plans and my expectations, so I want nothing to do with him. This level of rejection is seen most clearly in unbelievers, those who boldly turn away from Christ, those who are exposed to the truth and yet deny it. And what a tragic place to be. To be so spiritually blind that you reject the light that God has given you because you prefer darkness. Just think of this city, the miracles that Jesus could have done. The more lives that could have been transformed in this city. How many people there desperately needed healing and hope and forgiveness, but instead they begged him to leave. Now, as believers, of course, we would never be so bold in our rejection of Christ. We're followers of Christ. So for us, if we have any part in this kind of heart response, it comes in those small moments when a closer walk with Christ would disrupt our plans It would disrupt our comfort. No, Jesus, you can get close, but not that close. You can have all the authority you want over this part of my life, but this part over here, I got it. I got it. And just like this city, what grace are we missing out on when we close off those areas? When we close off that part of our hearts? What answers to prayer are we missing out on? What greater blessing... All because we don't trust. Well, let's look at chapter 9, our final scene this morning. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. There's that authority word again. Over and over, unlike the last city, these people glorified God for what they saw. They maybe didn't understand it, but they glorified God. This miracle is the same one that Mark records in chapter 2. It's the famous one where the friends dig the hole in the roof and let him down to Jesus. Matthew, for some reason, leaves out all of those really dramatic details because he wants to focus here on the response, this conversation that follows. Because the curtain that Matthew slowly pulling back is at its widest point yet. In Mark, the scribe's problem with this is stated explicitly. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they ask. Yes, scribes, good question. Keep thinking. See, Jesus couldn't be clearer to his original audience. He's, I'm not just a miracle worker. Now he's putting himself in the very place of God. Clearly, without question, forgiving sins by his own authority. See, so every unbeliever has to ultimately wrestle with this, these claims of who Jesus is, of who Jesus said he is. There's no room for picking and choosing some of his teachings and just sort of liking Jesus as a moral teacher. We have to respond to his claims of divinity, of his Claims of absolute authority. We can reject it outright like the scribes because it might shake things up too much. It might challenge us too much. But of course, that's not being honest with what's right in front of us. The good news, of course, is that he is gracious. He's ready to forgive all who come to him by faith. And this gets to our response as believers as we see Matthew showing us who Jesus is. How will we respond? We can call Jesus Lord all day long, but is his authority actually impacting our lives? Is the authority of Jesus adjusting our priorities? Is the authority of Jesus influencing how we spend our money? How we spend our time? See, Matthew shows us that his authority knows no bounds. But he also shows us in his healing, in his ministry, in his compassion that his authority can be trusted. So yielding our lives fully to Jesus feels scary. But it beats the alternative because we can trust him completely. This is the faith that Jesus is calling us to. This is the faith Jesus was calling those disciples to at the beginning of our text this morning. So let's take some time to pray this week that God would show us those areas of our life that maybe we haven't fully yielded to Christ. And ask God for the courage to do that. To take another step closer to him. To open our heart more to more fully to his will. What a fitting prayer that is for this Lent season. What a fitting posture. See, to obey Jesus' command to follow him is to put him first. Because if Jesus is who he said he is, then our lives are completely out of order if he's not at the top. But make no mistake, following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. There's a cost. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he famously said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. For Bonhoeffer, if you know his story, these words became literal. He gave his life standing for Christ against the evils of Nazi Germany. Most of us won't be called to martyrdom. But there is a cost for all of us as Christ followers. And he's worthy of that cost. So the question is, do we trust Jesus enough to willingly pay it? In the very next chapter of Matthew, Jesus will say, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then in chapter 19, Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Jesus says, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That seems like a pretty good trade. When we yield everything to his authority, when we lose our lives for Jesus in pursuit of him, that's when we find real life, his life in us. Let's pray together. Close with a prayer by Richard Elaine. Now speak, Lord, and we will hear. Now call, Lord, and we will answer. Now command us, impose on us what you will, and we will submit. None but the Lord, none but Christ, no other Lord nor lover. We are yours, Lord, your own. Do with your own. Demand of your own whatever you please. What will you have us be, Lord? What will you have us do? That is what we will do and be. No longer what we will, but your will be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.